Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this opportunity, God, to gather together as believers to look, Jesus, at what you did on the cross, to remember the price that you paid for our salvation. So, Father, I pray that as this uh, this service continues, that your spirit, God, would just inhabit this place. Father, that you would walk amongst us, God, that you would touch hearts and minds, God, that you would bring to remembrance all that Christ did on our behalf. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Before we get, get going, I just want to publicly say a huge thank you to uh, Don Beckel uh, for clearing the parking lot and also to Kara and Jose and both Logans uh, for doing the shoveling and getting the entrances open. Um, without you guys, the service would not be able to take place. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very, very much. Oh, and Calvin too. Sorry about that. Um, I thought I saw two tractors but I wasn't sure, I should have checked. But thank you, Calvin. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles, if you brought them to Isaiah 53, I just wanna, to be short tonight, um, as, as we go through this text and as we get ready to take communion afterwards, just uh, remember this passage of scripture during that time, Isaiah 53, beginning in verse one, we read, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And so here we see Jesus growing up and there's nothing that would mark him as special among men. We know he's special, but, but, but the people that he grew up around did not mark him as special. Verse three says, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And, and here's where things change. He was despised and rejected by men, the very men that he came to save. Uh, scripture says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that he was acquainted with grief. He knew suffering. He knew betrayal. He knew ridicule and slander and mockery. He knew what it was like to feel anguish in his soul. And for those that, that needed him so badly, they are the ones that did not esteem him. They hid, as it were, uh, their faces from him. And th this picture that, that is being spoken of of Christ, sometimes I, I think that we can get this idea in our minds that we, we forget this part of it. We, we get more of a Sunday school idea of who Christ is. And, and so as we go through this, just know that, that this passage refers to, to Jesus as a suffering servant for a reason. In verse 4 it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And Christ has borne our griefs and incurred our sorrows, but instead of recognizing him for who he was, uh, th those people esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. And, and so in, in one of the most horrific paradoxes yet, the, the very the Christ that, that bore the sorrows and griefs were mocked by the people of whose sorrows and griefs he bore. And, and they did not understand what he was doing. And it's the same for for all people that were once sinners, you and I fall into this category. But Paul says it in this way, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so before we came to Jesus, we, we, we thought that the cross was folly, but after we've come to him, we know that it's the power of God to save. And so what Christ is accomplishing here on, on the cross is, is, is so 
horrific from one side, but so beautiful from another. In Isaiah 53, 5, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. Jesus paid this price. For our transgressions, he was pierced. For our iniquities, he was crushed. For our peace, he was chastised. And for our healing, he was wounded. And as you, as you get ready to partake of communion, as, as we focus on communion later in the service, think back about this, about the very fact that, that, that we can take communion because of what Christ has done. So as we remember his death, uh, and we, we, we partake of the elements, the, the, the bread that represents his body and the blood, or the juice that represents his blood, it's right here, right now, that we can partake of that. And remember the price that he paid. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And, and th this means that, that all of us at one point in time walked away from the Lord that we were to follow, that, that we did not grow up in obedience, that we did not grow up following him, that we, we sought the things that we thought could save us and we thought the, sought the things that we thought uh, would, would minister to us. And, and for those of you that, that walked in the world for a time, you know this is not true. And yet Christ bore the iniquity of us all so that we could be reconciled to the Father. And so this picture that's happening, this picture of Jesus on the cross, it's not, it's not something to just read and go past. There's, there's nothing at all about our Christian life without this part here. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shares is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And this is the part that, that really hit me as I was preparing this. I, I I don't know if you've ever heard the sound of a sheep bleeding. It, it, it's, it's horrific. It, you, you want it to stop. It, it's, I, I don't even know how to describe it. And, and it's one thing to, to know that, that a sheep is being hurt or that a sheep is wounded and to hear it bleeding. And you know that it's doing it for a reason. But to know that, that Christ was led like a lamb to the slaughter, innocent, spotless, pure. And yet he opened not his mouth. The very one that could have called down legions of angels, the very one that could have stood up and said, I have done nothing wrong. I, I am not worthy of being crucified. I'm not worthy of death. The very one, the only one that has ever lived a perfect life is the very one that never opened his mouth. And, and I, I just, I was sitting in my office today and I can't, I can't move past that part because the, the times that I've opened my mouth and I've said, God, this is not fair. God, this is not, why is this happening? And, and I'm not righteous. And, and Christ, who was righteous, never opened his mouth. He never complained. He never said, it's not fair. He never said, look at, they, they, they don't recognize me. They all scattered. He never said, uh, I, I thought it would be worth it, but it's not. He, he, he never said that. Instead, he just submitted himself to the will of the Father and walked in complete obedience. And that obedience is what has purchased our salvation. And when I think about this, it's just, it's more than what I, 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 I can bear, and it's more than what I can fathom. And going further in verse 8, it says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit 
in his mouth, and, and even in his death, he was punished, for they made his grave with the wicked. And although he had done nothing worth dying for, it, this innocent, spotless lamb was slain for the iniquities of the guilty. And it's one thing to die for those who are righteous. Romans says that. But it's another thing to die for those who are guilty. Verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And, and in one of the hardest verses in this passage to stomach, we read that it was the will of God to crush Jesus, to put him to grief, to make his soul an offering for guilt. The church, it was not for nothing. It was for everything. For the, the will of God is not just that he would crush Jesus, but also that through that, through that, 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 that uh, his soul being an offering for guilt, that, that there would come a time where he would see his offspring, that his days would be prolonged, and that the, the full will of God would prosper in his hand. And all that has happened has happened according to the will of God. And, and thank the Lord, because there's no other way that you and I can stand before God except for what Jesus Christ has done. There's no way that we can have a Savior if Jesus had not gone to the cross. There's no way that, that we could bear the name of Christ or be counted a child of God unless Jesus did what he did. Verse 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be acquaint, accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And out of all of this, out of all this suffering and all this grief, many will be made righteous and many have been made righteous. Christ poured out his soul to death, being numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and he made intercession for them through his perfect life and his sacrificial death. And that leads you and I to why we're here tonight. And it's hard because, like I said, one, one part of it is so horrific. I don't, know, I don't know if we can adequately understand it. And yet, part of it is so beautiful that thank God for Jesus. And that leads us to the, these next verses that are, are, are so powerful. And the reason that we're here tonight, and that's in John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Scripture says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. And here we have Jesus' death. We know that he was brought before the council that he was brought before Pilate, that he was sent for crucifixion, that they placed a robe on him and a crown of thorns around his head. We know that he marched to, to Golgotha, the, the place of the skull, and that he was hung between two criminals. We know that, that they placed a placard above his head that said, King of the Jews. We know that the people mocked him and derided him, and, and they, they referred to him as being a, a savior, but not being able to save himself. And we, we know that the soldiers cast lots for his clothing, and we know that those that should have been there with him during this time were not. Those that he had spent years ministering to, those that saw everything he did, those that heard everything he said, they, they, were, they weren't there. They weren't there to be found. 
And we know that, that he cried out from the cross at those that were, were doing these things. He didn't call out and say, Father, strike him dead. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So even in his utmost suffering, he's extending the love that he has for those that, that mocked him and scorned him. We, we know that the pain and the anguish of the nails in his hands and his feet. We know that, that at one point he cried out, Eli, Eli, Lamash Bakhtani, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that he told his father that into his hands he was committing his spirit, and we know that the last words that he uttered were, it is finished. And he was able to say those things because everything that God, the Father, had given him to do, he had done. He had walked in perfect obedience. He had fulfilled everything he was charged to do. He left nothing undone that was to be done. And that's why we call this Good Friday. It's not good for Jesus. It's good for us. And this is why we have hope. This is why we can now come to the Father as if we have never sinned because Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place. It's why we have access to the Father. It's why we're saved. It's why we're born again. It's why we're redeemed. It's why we're regenerated. It's why we're being sanctified and one day we'll be glorified. It's why we can call God our Father. It's why we can stand before him as if we have never sinned, clothed in white, spotless, pure, because the perfect life and Jesus' perfect righteousness have been imputed to us and he was given our sin and our guilt in its place. And this is the only reason, again, why we can call today good. And church is a reason that we should never forget. So as we get ready to take communion, you know, sometimes we have a way of, of coming to church and we we get in a routine. We, we, we do these things that are meant to be important and they're meant to have significance and, and they're called sacraments for a reason. But sometimes we, we just, we go through the motions. We get in such a habit that we, we know we've done communion a hundred times before and so it's just something we do, but it's not to be something that we do. It's to be someone we remember. Christ tells us to, to do this in remembrance of him, to, to remember all that he has done. And we're going to get ready to take communion in a little bit, but um, Carol's going to come and share beforehand. I want you to, to think back to Isaiah 53 as you get ready to partake of the bread and the cup to remember that it's Jesus' body and his blood that was given for us. And as you listen to, to what uh, Carol has to say, I would, I would ask and pray that you just allow the Spirit of God to search your heart. We know that, that the story is not done. We know that Easter's coming. But don't let that overshadow the importance of what it is that Christ has done for us tonight. Be obedient to what God is asking you and, and allow your heart to, to, be, to be touched, to be searched in preparation for Easter morning. Ms. Carol. You know, when Pastor said he got parked at a, on a scripture, that's what happened um, to me. I'd say early, the beginning of Lent season, in precept, we're studying Matthew, and there's a, we were in Matthew chapter 26, and the Lord just stopped me, and I've been asking this question of many, many people in the last month or so. 
in regard to the scripture. And so I was mentioning it to pastor, and I don't know if I half volunteered or if he half asked if I would share, because I felt it would be such an important insight into before communion. And I mean, at my age, and I've served the Lord since a child, I don't even remember the first time I took communion. But, um, you know, it's like Pastor said, you just kind of get in the routine and you listen to a scripture. And I've heard this scripture many, many, many times, but the Lord's had me parked there for, for weeks. And the scripture is in Matthew 26, and I just want to paint a visual picture for you. Um, Jesus had just met with his disciples, and they had had the Passover meal, and we, that chapter, I just encourage you to go home and read that chapter. We see where um, the lady with the alabaster box comes in and anoints him. We've got the story of Judah in there. And then you get to a verse that says, um, you know, at, during the Passover meal, Jesus refers to, this is the cup of my blood, drink this in remembrance of me. And then we get on in the chapter, and Jesus ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know the story of the disciples. They're sleeping. But, and the first time when Jesus goes, he leaves the disciples, and he tells them to keep watch with me. And he goes a little bit further, and then it says in verse 39, And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, not yet not as I will, but as you will. And as I reviewed that scripture today, I don't, it continues to hit me over and over many parts of this. We, if you remember the story, three times Jesus goes to the garden to pray. He comes back and they're sleeping. All three times when he goes, as he goes back to pray, all three times Jesus says, um, continues to say the same thing in essence. In verse 42, he says, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. A couple of verses later, the third time, he's, uh, it's, in my version it says, he went the third time praying, saying the same thing once again. So my question, as I pondered that deeply, 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 it's like, okay, we take communion and we know that's a cup. But what was Jesus saying when he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me? So a cup holds something. So my question began to be, what, what did that cup hold? What was in that cup? What was Jesus saying? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And I have pastor's permission to ask for audience or congregation participation. So what do you think Jesus was saying let, if it be possible, let this cup, what was in that cup? Say it loud enough so others can hear it. Our sins. What did somebody else over here? The burden that was laid on him. It's a loaded question. That's all I can tell you is the Lord, I mean, I, I started pondering that in the whole of Scripture. Because that's kind of precept, that's what it makes you do is think the big picture. And, um, and so because of studying that way, and you, you'll get it, um, it's like when you think of the whole of Scripture, that cup carried the complete wrath of God from the book of Genesis. When in chapter 3, I think it's verse 15, where uh, um, Adam and Eve had just been deceived by the serpent, and God says, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. 
So from that day on, there was enmity, division, the wrath of God. All, so the whole of Bible, the, all of the Bible from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, was contained in that cup when Jesus in the garden said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So all of the wrath of God that we deserved was there. As Jesus is dying on the cross, he, um, he even makes the statement, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God himself, because of the wrath that was in there, and then it was also fully contained with the love of God. The, like different ones have been saying, and Pastor said in his message, the, the contradiction, the absolute opposites, it, it was all contained in that cup itself. And so it's the wrath covered by the, with the love, all contained in the blood that he shed. And so it's all the way from Genesis to Revelation because this is the pivotal point where we, where we can choose if we're going to walk in the love of God or in the wrath of God. And I had lots of other thoughts, and I have my little crutch here, my notes. Let's see what else I wanted to mention. So this is the, the pivotal point of history. Every... the. Total, total history of God's creation. This is the pivotal point of Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, and he's reconciling it all. And as I was getting ready later this afternoon and I thought about this, it was like this punchline dropped in my heart. It's like, so we now are cupbearers for the king. If you think, I don't know if you've ever studied cupbearer in scripture, but a cupbearer in the Bible is very significant and he was like one of the key people that the king would always be able to have come in and out of his presence because the cupbearer would sip on anything that the king ate or drank. I don't know about eating, but definitely drinking to make sure that it wasn't poisonous. And so now we, in essence, are cupbearers for our King Jesus as we go out in the world. So that's what I've been carrying to share with um, the congregation. And thank you, Pastor. Reading from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 23. Scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may eat of the bread. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may drink the cup. Would you stand with me, please? Jesus, on this night, this Good Friday, I want to thank you for the blood, for your blood that you shed for us. And I thank you that you bore the cup of the wrath of God so that we would not have to. And I'm reminded in Scripture in Romans where it says that the, 
the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. And so as we remember the price that you paid, as we remember the anguish that you suffered, as we remember everything that happened on Good Friday, God, let us also praise you that we get to experience the love of God like no other because of what Jesus Christ has done. So God, as we get ready to close this service out, I pray that we would spend the next few minutes just worshiping you for all that you have done. Jesus, we know that when you said it is finished, that that was a declaration that it stands true still today. So God, help us to remember that it is finished. And help us to remember who we are in Christ. And help us to remember everything that that means, both now and here and in eternity. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise. And Jesus, is in your name I pray. Amen. This next-